last thing they were expecting was an encounter with the glory of God. They were just ordinary guys. It was just a typical night. It was a dull place. They were just doing mundane work. And then an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And I've always focused on the first half of the angel showing up, but I never really thought a lot about the second part of that sentence. What does it mean? The glory of the Lord shone around them. It must have been like every Christmas light in the world was suddenly turned on. And it made them afraid. It would have made you and me afraid. But fear turned to cheer as the good news of the birth of a Savior was announced. And suddenly, a pasture became a cathedral. Because when one angel started talking about Jesus, a whole choir showed up. And they were excited and they were singing. And it wasn't that they were excited about their salvation. They were already saved. They were excited about our salvation. And they began to chant throughout the heavens, glory to God in the highest heaven. And on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. And I'm so thrilled you're going to join me the next three weeks because I want to just camp on that one powerful verse. Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace on whom his favor rests. And I want to talk about what it means to have peace on earth because Jesus came. What does it mean that God's favor now rests on men? But I want to begin where every life and every song and every heart should begin. With the glory of God. Because the great challenge is to live anywhere like the transcendent is everywhere. Now, if you're watching online for the first time, let me just say, uh, I'm not speaking at any of the campuses of the Hills Church. We have three in North Richmond Hills, South Lake West Fort Worth. But today, we are thankful to our friends at St. Andrew's Episcopal Church who are allowing us to use their sanctuary for this message. And one reason I wanted to be here was to illustrate that through the centuries, followers of Jesus had tried to express the idea that all of life is under the canopy of the glory of God. And through our music and through our paintings, through our stained glass and our statues, particularly through our architecture, whether it's our steeples or it's our high roofs, we, we've tried to communicate that we come together under the canopy of the glory of God. And we build special places, not to suggest that there's only a certain place where God is, but these places that we gather in remind us that any place and every place can be an encounter with the glory of God. And we need that reminder because here's the truth. The earth has a glory problem. Now, in the Hebrew concept, glory meant something that is weighty or heavy or substantial. And the idea is whatever carries weight in your life is what you glorify. So the person or the thing 
that is getting your heaviest attention and affection is your greater than. It is your functional God. And so, you see, the essence of sin is basically putting weight in the wrong place. Paul put it this way in Romans. He said, they exchanged the glory of God. In other words, the root problem on earth is we take the weight that is due the Creator and we try to put it on the created. We have a weight problem. It's like the story I heard of the fellow that went to the doctor. He was just going to have a mole removed from his chin. He goes in and the nurse says, down the hall, first door on your right, take off all your clothes and wait there. Ma'am, I just need a mole on. Down the hall, first door on your right, take off all your clothes and wait. But I just need, down the hall, first door on your right, take off your clothes and wait. So he goes in all intimidated. He gucks in the door and there's another guy sitting there on the table just in his boxer shorts. He says, man, that nurse sure is mean. And the guy on the table says, tell me about it. I'm the UPS driver. You see, we, we let the wrong people and the wrong things have way too much weight in our lives. And God takes this seriously. God takes seriously the exchange of the glory that is due Him. In Isaiah 42 we read, I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not yield my glory to another. Now, this is not because God has an ego problem. It is because God is perfect truth, okay? God can't lie. So God can't pretend that any other rival is His equal. When we throw our weight onto other things, the weight that belongs to God, He can't just go along and say nothing and act like that's okay. All of life should be lived in view of the weightiness of God. And all the earth should acknowledge His preeminence. In fact, uh, when you read the old Hebrew songbook, we call it the Psalms, certain verses show up more than once in different songs and you ought to pay special attention to them. And one of the verses that shows up in a number of their songs, for example, in Psalm 108, verse 5, is this verse. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. The prophets would talk about this. The day is coming when God's glory is going to fill the earth. So you see, when, when God sees an earth, God sees a world, God sees a people that are exchanging His glory, He's not going to sit passively back. He's going to do something. In fact, uh, the Bible says He has set His glory in the heavens. He has given evidence of His glory. But Christmas is when God said, I'm going to do more. Christmas is when glory got personal. John put it this way in chapter 1, verse 14. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. And we've seen His glory. The glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. So you see, Jesus' birth was a glory visit. 
But God was doing something really heavy at Bethlehem. In the Hebrew mind, the glory of God was his essence, his attributes, and it was his brilliance. And see, here's what happened at Bethlehem. The glory of God, the glory of deity was tabernacled in humanity. Now, Jesus didn't relinquish his glory. That's not what the incarnation's about. He was still, in essence, fully God. But he did conceal his brilliance in a body. Well, well, except for that one moment you might remember on top of a mountain where he was transfigured. And for one moment, the glory that was his was revealed to his disciples. But for most of Jesus' life on earth, he concealed that glory. It was the greatest demotion in history. The infinite became finite. The invisible became visible. And he who is eternal squeezed into this container we call time. And there's no other faith in the world or in history that has ever conceived of such a conception. That the earth would get a glory visit. And by the way, this wasn't some last minute brainstorm in heaven. But the moment we sinned, the moment we traded God's glory for the created. God spoke to the enemy and God said, now through her seed, I'm going to send a deliverer. And that's what happened at Christmas. We sing about it. Mild, he lays his glory by. Born that man no more may die. And so Christmas is the weight of God coming to rescue us from the weight of sin. The glory of God became visible, became touchable, became nailable. The glory of God was placed in a crib so that one day it could be placed on a cross. And by the way, you'll never hear a thought heavier than that one. see, Christmas rebukes all notions that we can save ourselves, that we can just try a little harder, that we can just be a little better, that we can improve ourselves. Our salvation required a glory visit by a Savior that was willing to cover His brilliance so that He could be able to cover our sin. And yet, do you know the night before Jesus went to the cross... He was thinking about his glory. He prayed this prayer in John 17. And we, we notice that he prays for his disciples. He prays for their protection. He prays for the unity of the church. We remember all that. But part of that prayer I think we forget is right at the end. Here's how Jesus closed his prayer. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory. The glory you've given me because you've loved me before the creation of the world. Isn't that interesting? One of the last thoughts Jesus has before he dies is, Father, the world hasn't seen my glory. My glory has been concealed in my flesh. 
Did God answer that prayer? You know, we only have two post-ascension, not post-resurrection, but post-ascension descriptions of Jesus. One is in Acts 9. It says that Saul was walking to Damascus, and he saw a light that was so bright it blinded him. And it was Jesus. And the other is in Revelation chapter 1. You remember John has a vision, and he turns to see who's speaking to him. And do you remember what he saw? I saw someone whose hair was white as snow, whose eyes were blazing like fire, whose feet were like bronze in a furnace. And get this, he said, and I saw his face, and his face shone like the sun in all its brilliance. See, Jesus has received his glory. You know, for millennia, it says the angels were trying to figure out, what's God going to do? There's an earth with a glory problem. How is God going to redeem a world with such a glory problem? And then one night, these ordinary guys doing a mundane job heard an angel announce a glory visit. And the whole chorus of angels, they got so excited, they couldn't contain themselves. They just started shouting, glory to God, glory to God. And and really, if you get what's happening at Christmas, you can't contain yourself either, can you? In fact, remember the shepherds? What'd they do? Let's go check it out. They go to Bethlehem. They see the baby. And what does it say in Luke 2, verse 20? They returned, glorifying and praising God. For all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. They worship. Because that's, that's basically what worship is. When you ascribe worth, you are making a glory transfer. I heard this uh, neat story Laura Bush tells about when her husband, George W., was president. He was in Houston visiting his parents. And uh, he got up about 6 in the morning, went downstairs, got some coffee, got a paper, walked into the living room. His parents were already up. He grabbed the paper, sat on the couch, put his feet up on a table, and started to read the paper. And his mother, Barbara, says, George, get your feet off my coffee table. And her husband said, honey, he is the president of the United States. And she said, I don't care. I don't want his feet on my table. And he took his feet off the table because even presidents have to remember who carries weight. And so does everyone else. You see, and I, when we worship, we're acknowledging who is heavy. Worship is the conscious expression of God's weightiness and of God's worthiness to be the ruler of our lives. All through Scripture, we are called on to make a glory transfer. Listen to these verses. Psalm 96 Ascribe to the Lord the glory do His name. Psalm 29, ascribe to the Lord, you heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory do His name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of His holiness. Psalm 115, not to us, Lord, not to us, but to Your name be the glory because of Your love and faithfulness. Now, remember what the prophet said? Someday the glory of the Lord is going to fill the whole earth. Every knee is going to acknowledge that God is glorious, that God is heavy. But we have the opportunity to do that now. The glory visit 
compels us to make a glory transfer. I consider Christmas to be one of the greatest calls to worship in history. But listen to me. It's also one of the greatest evidences that we have a glory problem. When I say we have a weight problem at Christmas, I'm not talking about extra pounds. Think about it. We get so excited at Christmas, and then we get so disappointed. Because we think, if I could just buy the right gift, if I could just prepare the right meal, if, if we could just have the right decorations, if I could just go to the right party, if I could just get the right bonus, if I could just get my relatives to act right, this will be the best Christmas ever. And it doesn't happen, does it? You see, we sing about peace on earth. And here's the problem. The peace is never going to descend until the glory ascends. In other words, the reason we struggle, the reason we're frustrated at Christmas, we're letting the wrong kings throw the weight around. But when God gets heavier, our burdens get lighter. You see, the glory of God's a very practical thing. If your glory is on the bottom shelf, it's going to get lost or it's going to get stolen. And if you have put on things and if you have put on people the kind of weight, the kind of attention, the kind of affection that belongs only to God, you are going to lose peace. And so... This Christmas, what if we entered the season with an intentional glory transfer? You see, I believe when worship goes up, worry comes down. Let me give you a real personal illustration. And so my wife and I, early in our marriage, went through years of infertility. Lots of doctor visits, lots of medicines, lots of shots. We had driven from Abilene to Dallas to see a specialist, and we had gotten some very bad news. And we were driving back home to Abilene, and our hearts were sad. And then, somewhere between Fort Worth and Abilene, we had to pull off the road because of a storm. And it was the most amazing storm I've ever seen. The lightning was hitting the ground all around us, and we literally got off the road because it was dangerous to drive. And the brilliance was so intense, you could have read in that dark night in the car. And at first, we were afraid. And then we began to be amazed. We were literally under a canopy of the glory of God. And our hearts and our spirits began to lift. And we began to realize that we could not put the weight of our joy on things created. And the storm passed and we drove and we were facing the exact same issues. But with a completely different spirit. Because it matters. It really does matter. What you decide is going to be heavy in your life. And so, my prayer is that this year we have the heaviest Christmas ever. 
And the way to do that is to join the angels and to join the shepherds and give glory to God. And we're going to do that right now. So I'm going to ask you now, please stand wherever you are. Hear the words of Psalm 138, verse 5. May they sing of the ways of the Lord, for the glory of the Lord is great. And so we're going to enter into a season where we make a glory transfer and we give God the weight He's due. And before we begin, let me enter into that season with you in prayer. So, Father, I ask right now that you would deliver us from the lie, the propaganda that anything besides you can be what only you can be in our lives. We tend, Father, to let things get too heavy. We, we let things throw weight around that shouldn't. And we repent of that. And so, Father, we enter now into this Christmas season, joining with the shepherds and joining with the angels and saying glory to God in the highest. You alone are heavy. You alone are worthy. And we know that someday the whole earth is going to be full of your glory. We know that someday every knee is going to bow before the brilliance of Jesus. But God, we are going to do it right now. And we are going to ascribe to you the glory you are due. Father, be very real to us this Christmas season. May it be our heaviest Christmas ever. For the sake and the glory of Jesus, we offer you this worship. Amen.